I'm privileged to be able to fill in and with playing this morning, just also enjoying this Advent season and singing some of these old Christmas songs. When we had several of them that there's a lot of things that in, in a lot of ways, I'm not necessarily a traditions or rituals person. Like I don't like to do the same thing every single year. Christmas, I think is one of those because that I do like doing the same thing every year in some ways. And I, I just enjoy the memories that kind of flood back. And I don't know how, how many of you, maybe most of you or a lot of you have some of these same memories of singing these old Christmas hymns and these Christmas songs and just kind of what that Christmas time means for you. Because of course, for us as believers, it means the birth of Jesus Christ and what that meant for us of Christ coming to earth and living and dying for us and taking our sin penalty. It also, in a lot of ways, and I don't think it's a bad thing, I think sometimes maybe we can feel bad as Christians saying anything else other than that Christmas season is all about Jesus. In a lot of ways, Christmas time, especially in America, is time to be able to spend with family and friends. We have more time off of work. We have more freedom to be able to just enjoy spending some time with family and friends. So some of those memories may come back for you around the Christmas season, especially if you were a kid and remembering the excitement of Christmas. That's one of the things that I enjoy remembering is just the excitement of Christmas Day, and especially as a kid, the excitement of getting Christmas presents and what was going to be under the tree on December 25th when I woke up that morning. And, and also now for me, the excitement of being on the other side of it with me and my kids. I have two kids now, one of them's five and one of them's three, seeing them get excited about Christmas and the enjoyment that they have of the gifts makes me excited being a gift giver now, you know, and I enjoy the, I was thinking the a couple days ago, ended up fitting well with what I was going to talk about today, but a couple nights ago, I was at home with the girls, and I think I was in the kitchen washing dishes, they were in the living room playing, and I hear my older one go, Dad! Everything's a big deal. Dad, you know, um, Ava, is, she's the younger one. Ava's got the presents. Ava's got the presents. So I come in there and I see this table and they have a big blanket over it because they were playing forts and I hear some rustling under there. So I go and I lift up the blanket and I say, Ava, we can't touch those presents until Christmas. You know that we can't open those. And she goes, oh, I'm not going to open them. I just want to hold them. And her excitement about just having those presents is just so fun as a dad being able to see. And it kind of made me think as I've been prepping for this message about gifts. And I hope that uh, myself and all of us can get as excited about the gifts that God has given to us. Because I think in a deeper and far greater way, God has given us an untold number of amazing gifts. In fact, I would say that God is the ultimate gift giver, wouldn't you? I think he is... He is the ultimate gift giver, and overall, I think he's given us one incredible gift that expands into every aspect of salvation and life as well. I've titled today's message, Good Gifts, and this morning, I want to bring out just a few of those good gifts. You know, we have so many that it's hard to narrow it down, but I've narrowed it down to a few of them, and I don't have time to do a real in-depth study on each of them, but I want to unpack them, starting with one and then kind of working backwards, unwrapping them, so to speak, these different gifts that God has given to us, leading to this big, and I think one of the most important ones that he's given to us. So we'll be bouncing around in some different passages, so keep your Bibles open, and we want to just talk about a few of these different ones. So talking about this good gifts. Um, there are many good things that in life and here on earth as God has given us and many things that we can be grateful for 
and enjoy. I think that God created us. Part of the reason we were created is to worship him, to worship uh, his, the creator. So he could have stopped there, but he didn't just stop there. In fact, he gave us this stuff on earth to be enjoyed and stuff to enjoy, experiences to have that we can really enjoy in this life. Um, one of the things that he's given us is things and relationships in life. I talk with my grandfather. We talk fairly often. Um, for those of you who don't know, Pastor Carl, my grandfather, he was born and raised in the mountains in North Carolina. And so we talk about the mountains sometimes, especially when it comes to fall time. And I think there's probably nothing better in this world just about than sitting on the back porch of a cabin in the mountains in the dead of fall, watching the sun come up over the mountains and just hit those color-changing leaves. It's just a beautiful thing to sit and watch those are the types of things that God has given us to enjoy. These are gifts from God to be enjoyed here on earth. In fact, Ecclesiastes also brings us out about enjoying things. Verse 12 says, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Here's the thing about the things. And if you heard me a couple months ago when I, I preached about contentment, these things, whether it be physical things or life circumstances, experiences, are not what makes us happy in and of themselves. And if we look for the things themselves to make us happy, it's quickly going to turn to discontentment in our lives. These things are designed for us to be able to enjoy, but we do not find the fulfillment from them of itself. We recognize that it is a gift from God. And when we recognize that the things that we have or don't have are all gifts from God, it can help frame, frame our mindset so that no matter what we do or don't have, it doesn't necessarily matter because we can enjoy the things that we do have. That's why Hebrews 13 says to be content in every circumstance, be content in all things because everything is a gift from God. So we can find that contentment in the things that we have and not always be like, okay, well, I can really be happy or I can really enjoy this thing when I get to or when I have or when I get to this next place. I think in a similar way, we were created to find some fulfillment in other people as well. I said things and relationships in life. You know, we were created as relational people. You think all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the first man. What is one of the first things that happened to him? Somebody was created for him. Somebody was created to be with him, to somebody that he could relate to, that could relate to him, that he could take care of this person's needs, they could take care of some of his needs. We were created as relational people, and we all long for relationship. We're designed for community and fellowship and relationship with one another. And when executed properly, just the things in life and the circumstances in life, we can find great fulfillment and enjoyment through that. But before, see, I'm going to have several of these but befores because before we can truly enjoy the relationships in life and the benefits that come from them, we have to know about another gift that God gave to us. And understanding this gift will help us to know how we were designed to relate and to commune together, how we were designed to have relationship with one another. Because we know that people themselves aren't what ultimately fulfills us. The only thing that can ultimately fulfill us is God himself. But if we want to enjoy the benefits of the relationships that God has given us and truly get the most out of the relationships, 
and what they're designed to be, we need to know how God designed them to function. How did he intend for relationships to look and how did he intend for them to function? I think a great case study for this is to look at how the church and its people are designed to operate. So turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, Paul is writing and talking about the church and how the church should look and part of how the church and its people specifically, the people within it, should operate. And he starts off in verse, in verse 3 with talking and saying, I don't want you to think more highly of yourself. So he's kind of setting us like, hey, don't, don't get too big for your britches here. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. However, what he's going to say is, you are incredibly important. You are incredibly important specifically in the body of Christ. And not only incredibly important, but you are incredibly needed in the body of Christ. In your local church specifically, you are needed. Let's start in verse 4, where he talks about the different members of the church. Verse 4 of Romans 12. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So just as in our own bodies, you know, I mean, this is elementary stuff. Obviously, we have different members to our bodies, right? I have my arms, which can move and control my hands, and my hands, which are made to pick up things and handle things and move things. My head, which has my brain, which sends, you know, fires neurons to tell my arms to move when they need to move. Lots of different members, but they're all part of me. They're all part of what makes up me and my body. What Paul is saying here is it's the same type of thing with the church. And this is how God has designed relationships. God has created each one of us for unique purposes in the body of Christ. Unique is indifferent, but functioning in a way that as a whole, as an entire body, we work together. And we work together for one purpose. Just think of a body like if I had a if I had my whole body but I didn't have any arms. You know, there are people who are born with no arms or things happen and they don't have either one or both of their limbs. They can still function and they can still do things, but not nearly as easily as if they had the use of both of their limbs. And there are some things that they're even limited and they can't do. Same thing if I had a body and I had my arms but had no legs, there are certain things that I'm limited in, in doing. This is the same way with the church. See, we need one another. That's why verse five says, we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we're members of each other, of one another. We need it. This is the way God has designed us to operate is in this way. So another one of the gifts that God has given us is the gift of spiritual giftings. Things that we have been created and gifted with that we are naturally good at that we can bring to relationships. And things that we have and we're able to do that we are to use for one another. So can continue on in, in verse 6. It's having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The idea being that what you have, God has given you these things, what you have, use it for one another. I like in in verse nine, he says here, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another 
is with brotherly love. Now, hang on to that in your mind, that brotherly love and that love specifically, because that's going to that's going to come back up again in a minute. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. I like the way the ESV says, if you have the ESV translation, you might see this. And it actually says, outdo one another in showing honor. And I like that mindset of, the mindset is that we are not focused on ourselves and we're not focused on what we need as much as doing things for other people when it comes to the body of Christ and focusing on the needs and how we can care and how we can minister to others, so much so that it's almost like a challenge for us. Like we want to outdo, we don't want to make sure, we want to make sure that nobody else is showing more honor to other people than we are, caring for others more than we are. And obviously not in a braggadocious type of way, but in a way that is just out of love and out of care. That's why it says out of brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Because how many of us, I think, myself included for sure, can fall into the trap of thinking that church is all about us. Church is all about me. I come to church so that I can worship, so that I can, you know, I want a message that's gonna hit me right where I need to and talk about exactly the things that I need to. And I need the people around me to be friendly to me so that I feel like I am welcome and me, I, me, I, I, I. That is, I think, the trap that we can fall into of thinking with church. And that is not to discount the fact that church is obviously for our spiritual benefit as well. But our main focus in church, and when it comes to our church body and our church community, is one another. It's not ourselves, it's one another. And how can we be ministering to one another? How can we care for the needs of one another, especially in our local body, where we see week in and week out? And this is how we're designed to operate as a body of believers, caring for one another, loving one another. It's a selfless type of attitude that we have. And we can use our spiritual giftings to be able to do that. The things that we are naturally good at, the things that God has given us in, in our brains that help us to do whatever it is well. There are some things that I do well, and specifically when it comes to this church, there are some things that I have just kind of a insight to that I can see, like being able to put teams together, putting things together. But there are a lot of things that I don't do very well. You know, there's a lot of specific areas that I am just not necessarily gifted in or don't do well naturally. But the great thing about the body of Christ is there is somebody else who can come alongside and pick up the slack in the areas that I'm lacking in. And so we can all, as a goal with the church, you know, is spreading the gospel and encouraging one another to grow spiritually. We can all get those places, but it's not that I have to have everything to be able to do that. We can use one another to do that. And, you know, and you might say, yeah, but like, what about I need to have this, or I need to do this, or what about my, you know, spiritual growth and stuff, which is important, but you know what happens, and you're the cool thing that happens when I'm caring about you and you're caring about me is we both have our needs met. So we don't have to be solely focused on only having my needs met and you know how am I gonna get my needs met in this church and how am I gonna do this and that be our sole focus because when we're focused on others and others are focused on us, we can both have our needs met and it's a really cool relationship and in that, we can find that fulfillment and that joy in those relationships. When it comes to spiritual giftings, you are needed in your local church. And God has given you spiritual gifts as a believer, specifically designed to be used both for his glory 
and for one another as well. God has given us spiritual giftings that when used for one another can result in great enjoyment of relationships and the fulfillment that we were designed to find in them. So that's three and then four. But before, there's another before here because this is all fantastic stuff that we want to do. We're like, okay, I could end the message here and fantastic. We want to be used for God. We want to use our spiritual giftings to care for one another. We want to have a selfless type of attitude. That's all fantastic. But if we miss this next part, that's actually the before part, then all of this is going to be useless because there's another gift that God gave us that we have to have before we can actually be the people that we need to be for one another and use our spiritual giftings properly. And that gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now talk about just being able to hit the highlights. My goodness, you know, I think each one of these gifts could probably be a sermon. I think the Holy Spirit could be a sermon series within this sermon series because there are so many things that the Holy Spirit does for us while he is with us. You know, we see in the scriptures where he teaches us, he intercedes for us, he guides us, he convicts us, he teaches us a lot of different things the Holy Spirit does. But I want to highlight a couple aspects of the Holy Spirit this morning that I think tie well into what I'm talking about today. And starting quickly with the Holy Spirit being a gift of God itself. So the Holy Spirit is a gift from God itself. Turn with me to Ephesians 1. I told you we'll be bouncing around just a little bit into different passages. Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and talking to them specifically in chapter 1 about Christ and his work and what he did and the different benefits from that. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And stop there real quick and notice the order, right? You trusted in him as, after you heard the word of truth. So you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel, the good news, which is that in itself, the good news and what happens in the good news is our salvation. So you heard the word and then you trusted. And then what happens after that? Continue in verse 13. So in whom having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We were sealed. The moment we believe the Holy Spirit, God has given to us to seal us as a seal. And there are so many great benefits that come from that. But what, what was he sealed for? We see in verse 14. Verse 14 says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? The Holy Spirit himself, that's the who, is the guarantee of our inheritance our entrance into heaven, the Holy Spirit is there as a seal to guarantee that when we trust in Christ, we are guaranteed to have a place in heaven. And it says, until the redemption of the purchased possession. I love this because this is cool. We are that purchased possession. We are the possession that was purchased. And Christ is the one who did the purchasing with us. He purchased us with his blood through his death. See, the gospel is this. We are eternal beings, and we are going to live on forever. And because of Satan, there is a choice now. Because there is sin, and sin has entered the world, we can live forever with God, or we can live forever in hell with Satan and his demons. We can live one of those two places. And because of sin, there is a death penalty, or there is a penalty that has to be paid for sin. And that is death. Death must be the payment for sin. 
We learn that in Romans that the wages of sin is death. The payment that we earn is death. So that means that the moment that we commit a sin, then we are disqualified from going to heaven because a death has to be paid. We cannot be qualified until we pay that death. But when we die in our sin, the sin of unbelief, the sins, we go to hell. God didn't want that to be the end of our story, right? God did not want us to not have any choice but to go to hell because every one of us is born and we commit a sin at some point. And no matter what we do to try to work off that sin, it doesn't change the fact that we sinned, right? But thankfully, God didn't want that to be the end of our story. So he sent a substitution. He sent Jesus to be born as a man to live, and he lived a perfect life, being the first human ever fully qualified to go to heaven because he never sinned. But he decided to, instead of just taking that qualification and go to heaven, he decided to die anyway. And in his death, he took the penalty that we were supposed to pay upon himself, and he died with that penalty. But that took care of our sin penalty, and God proved and showed his approval of that being the taking care of our sin penalty, because three days later, he raised him from the dead again. And he says that this now is my solution. Now, you don't have to work and pay for your own sin. If you would just instead simply believe that Jesus is the one who took that penalty, then you will be saved. And in fact, I will send my Holy Spirit as a seal, as a guarantee that you are saved. And now when I look at you, I don't see your sin, but I see Jesus in his righteousness. And he then ultimately, as verse 14 says, to the praise of his glory, he's going to be the one who gets the glory for that. And now, since we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, since we have this Holy Spirit who is our seal, he does many other things for us. And the big one that specifically ties in today is that the Holy Spirit is our source of strength. And it's him who gives us the strength to accomplish these good works for one another, to be the people that we need to be for one another. It's him that gives us this strength. If you have a Bible, jump back to Galatians 5. It's just a couple pages back. Very familiar passage, I think, for a lot of us, even a lot of those who are not Christian um, and probably know some parts of this passage. But verse 16 in Galatians chapter 5. See, do you want to know how to do all these things? You know, these things are really good and they sound really good about caring for one another and thinking of other people and enjoying things that we have in life. But do you want to know how to really accomplish those? Verse 16 shows us how. Verse 16 says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we have the spirit living inside of us and we are encouraged to just walk in the spirit to abide with the Spirit, to enjoy that. And it says, verse 17, for the flesh lust against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and they are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. See, there's a war happening between good and evil, the Spirit and the flesh, and they are totally contrary to one another. And here's the thing about that. When it comes to a spiritual sense, there's no riding the fence between good and evil. When it comes to your walk, you are either walking in the spirit or you're walking in the flesh. And there's only one of two modes. And as believers, we're capable of both, which is a scary thought when you think of the flesh, because verse 19, what does it say? Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, 
lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, all kinds of terrible, awful things that we don't want to be associated with. But this is the kind of stuff that we can produce when we are walking in the flesh. This is what the end of the road of walking by the flesh leads to. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a productive member of the body of Christ. It doesn't sound like somebody, you know, I don't know that I want somebody to be in the body of Christ if they are full of hatred for one another. If they're always trying to start something, start arguments, start contentions with one another. If they're always comparing themselves to how good or how bad they are compared to other people and there's jealousies because of that. They have outbursts of wrath or selfish ambitions. But as I said, this is something that we can deal with too. We are all capable of these things and capable of walking by the flesh. So that's why we're encouraged to walk by the Spirit because thankfully the verse doesn't stop there. But verse 23, or 22 rather, but the fruit of the Spirit, and contrary to the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. And notice here, real quickly too, it's not the fruit of the things that we produce. Rather, it's the fruit of the Spirit, which is why we have to be walking with the Spirit because it's the Spirit that's going to be producing these things. It's the fruit that comes from the Spirit. And notice here, the very first thing that the Spirit produces, Spirit produces is love. There's that love again. We talked about doing these things and, and relating to one another and caring for one another out of brotherly love. The love comes in from the Spirit. So we have to be walking with the Spirit if we're really going to be truly producing that love. Next one is joy. I talked a few minutes ago about experiencing true joy and enjoyment that we can find in our circumstances and in relating to people and the fulfillment that can come through that. That comes through the Spirit. And the long-suffering example, <laughs> I love all y'all, but some of y'all can be hard to get along with sometimes, <laughs> myself included. I can be hard to get along with sometimes. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. Like, I can be hard to get along with sometimes. We need long-suffering when we're relating to one another. As fallen people, as imperfect people, we need long-suffering and patience to be able to relate fully to one another and given the great, giving other people the grace when they mess up as well. But the only way we're going to have truly productive relationships and grow spiritually is through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is why it's the gift that we have to have, another gift being the Holy Spirit. The gift, another of God's gifts is the Holy Spirit, which enables, enables us to actually execute these spiritual gifts that he has given us, that God has given us. And therefore, properly enjoy the gift of relationships and things that come from life. But before, there's one last before here. It's equally as important. See, the Holy Spirit is a gift that's given to a believer, someone who is saved. So before the Holy Spirit could be given to us, something very important had to happen. We had to be saved. And I kind of talked about this already, but I want to mention it on its own, is this gift of salvation. Jump forward again one more time to Ephesians, and Ephesians chapter 2 this time. Ephesians 1, Paul is talking about God 
and Christ and the Holy Spirit and what he did. Ephesians 2, Paul starts off with talking about us and who we were specifically before Christ. And that we, you know, the first few verses say that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we once walked according to the course of this world and conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. This is who we were. But then verse four has maybe the the best two words that you can have in the Bible or that you can find anywhere. And that is, but God. See, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. There was no hope for us anywhere because as fallen people, we had committed sin and therefore we were disqualified from heaven. And no amount of working that we could do, nothing that we could do could qualify us to go to heaven because we had already sinned, but God. And that's where verse four comes in. But God, verse four, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he did this because of his great love. Notice it says in verse four, there's that love again. God loved his creation so much that he didn't want them to stay dead in our trespasses and sin. He didn't want us to stay dead in our trespasses and sins. So he made a way for us. And no amount of working could get us into heaven. We see that because Christ had to die. If the solution for getting into heaven after we had sinned was just do enough good things to like negate some of that sin, then the commands just would have been, y'all better get to work. That would have been the command. But no, instead, he sent somebody to take care of that sin penalty because he knew that there was no way that we were going to be able to take care of that ourselves. And not only did he do that, verse six, it says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in making us alive together, he totally cleansed us and raised us up spiritually to have an eternal life with God. It says to sit together in the heavenly places. Verse seven, so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I think it's such a cool thing that God longs to show us his grace and his kindness. And he wants to continually show us his grace and kindness. He wants to have a relationship with us. He didn't just want to create us and just leave us on our own. No, he wants to have a relationship with us. And so he made a plan of salvation to be able to do just that and gives us an example, therefore, of how we can relate with other people. He made the ultimate selfless sacrifice. And verse eight says, so he, Paul, like a good teacher, Paul kind of, again, sums up salvation. He emphasizes it and clarifying it in just a little bit different way so that he makes sure that his point is clear. This salvation that God has given us is a measure of his grace. Verse eight says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So salvation itself is a gift from God. And he clarifies too in verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And just in case it wasn't clear, it's not of yourselves. It is the gift from God. Salvation itself is a gift because of what God did. And why is that such good news? Why are we talking about it being such good news? 
because a gift is free. We know this like at Christmas time. I got some gifts yesterday from my parents and we had our Christmas celebration yesterday and I got some gifts. But if my dad had come in this morning and been like, hey, yeah, by the way, here's, here's the bill for those gifts. Like you can pay me back later. You know, you don't have to do it while you're preaching, just, you know, do it later. Well, then all of a sudden my gift is not a gift. It's not free. It's a purchased possession. And we know from Ephesians 1 that the only one who did the purchasing in this transaction is God himself. In fact, we are the possession that was purchased. We're not purchasing a possession of salvation. He purchased us with his blood and he paid for it, which is why Paul says that salvation is through faith. And so all we need to do is believe that God made the purchase and that we are the possession. God paid the penalty that needed to be paid. Therefore, it is a gift from God because he paid for it. See, this is what God did for us. Out of the many things that he did, this is one of the big ones. And you see the theme throughout all of this? Overall, God did all this because he loves us so much. I think perhaps maybe one of God's greatest gifts is love. See, God showed his incredible love for us in that while we were still dead in our sins. We were technically enemies of God because we were sinful people. He expressed his love by giving us Jesus Christ, by giving us salvation, not just saying, you better do enough good things that you can earn your way into heaven. No, he said, I want to take care of it for you. Not only do I want you to be with me, but I want to take care of the problem for you. I want to pay for it so that you don't have to. He did that out of his love. That's why verse four of Ephesians two says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And through this, he gave us an example of what true love looks like by doing something for us, even though we didn't deserve it. We talk, in this culture, we talk about a lot about what we do deserve and like, I deserve this and I deserve that. But truthfully, in our sins, because we were sinned, we did not deserve salvation but God gave it to us anyway. And so he gave us the gift then of the Holy Spirit, not only as a guarantee of our inheritance because of what he already did, but he went even further and gave us the Holy Spirit who then enables us and gives us power to be able to love one another and to have those relations, or to love him rather, and to love others. And then he gave us the gift of relationships, of people to love in a way that benefits both him and everyone around us, people that we can therefore love. And then going even further than we could even imagine, he showed his love for us by giving us things on earth here to enjoy. Not only did he give us relationships, but he gave us things that we can enjoy on this earth, experiences that we get to have that we can enjoy. All of this is because of God's great love for us. And all these things are gifts from him. As we enjoy our time today and tomorrow with friends and family, and we probably do our own gift giving and opening, I hope that we can take a moment to think and remember and thank God for all the great gifts that he has given us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you just for the many gifts that you've given us. Lord, there's so many that, you know, I was only able to cover just a couple of them this morning and We just appreciate all that you do for us, all this that we don't even deserve because of 
our position, because we are sinful creatures, we don't deserve your love and your grace. It's you show it anyway. And you show it not only at one point in time in our salvation, but day in and day out, you show it to us. You show us your love and your kindness, and you long to express that. And we are grateful for that. Lord, we pray that, I pray for all of us here, that we would, as Galatians says, learn to better just walk in the Spirit. And now that we have this Holy Spirit inside us, Lord, that we would just be encouraged to walk and abide with you so that we can enjoy these benefits of these gifts, Lord. I pray that for everyone here this morning and I pray these things in your name. Amen.